Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey everybody, welcome back to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money and I'm so excited for today's episode because I'm sitting down with another TV star, Jesse Rodriguez. You know him and his wife Tina from HGTV, the show Vintage Flip. It's such an awesome show. I could sit and literally watch those home improvement shows for like all Saturday without even getting up. It's crazy how addicting they are. Before I get into the interview with Jesse, though, I want to remind you of the coolest thing ever. For years, people have been asking Lori and I to come together and do a life course using each of our areas of expertise and putting it in one place, literally the roadmap to how we live our life, the roadmap to how we've gotten where we are. For years, we've been asked to do it, and for months and months and months, we have been putting it together, and it is finally ready, and you have the chance to explore how we have built our life, our relationships, and our financial abundance by breaking it down in the areas of your beliefs, your rituals, and your tribe. It's nine weeks to a brand new life. You're going to absolutely love it. And right now it comes with a free event ticket for the first joint event that we have ever done in history, Aligned Live. I cannot wait for everybody to get into this community. So if you're interested in this life course that you can study at home and get the free event ticket, go to fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash aligned. Again, that is fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash aligned. I am in love with this project that we put together and I know you're going to love it too. So as we dive into this episode, this really ends up being a great conversation just about life, quite honestly. Yeah, we talk a lot of TV and yeah, we talk a lot about, you know, what's it like to be this up and coming celebrity, especially as a couple, how do you deal with it and what are your goals? But it's really just a conversation about life and success and ups and downs and how to navigate through them. You see, Jesse and his wife are successful real estate investors. And again, like I mentioned before, they are the star of the TV show on HGTV, Vintage Flip, but he tells a great story about how it always hasn't been this TV star life that they live right now. They have a great comeback story where they lost everything and they rolled up their sleeves and worked all these hours in order to make a comeback in just 18 months. It's really inspiring. And we talk about fame and being on TV and what working with your spouse is like and how to navigate working with your spouse. I know that's a really popular topic for so many people. And how to position yourself and your money in order to capitalize on upcoming opportunities. Anything like real estate downturns or any other kind of opportunity. How to put yourself in a position to be ready for those. This is really just a great episode that offers lots of different areas of inspiration. So make sure that you tune in, listen up, and take away some of your favorite nuggets. All right, Jesse, my man, how you doing? I'm good. How are you doing, Chris? Dude, I'm excited to get into this with you. Um, I want to talk a little TV. I want to talk a little life. I definitely want to talk a lot of you know business, real estate, money, all things that come up. But to get this thing off to a really good start, I do a rapid fire session. It's kind of a fun way to help my listeners get to know you in a hurry. And if there's something that comes up, uh, that we want to do a deep dive on. Then we'll circle back to it. So you in? I'm in. Let's do it. All right, here we go. Where'd you grow up? Fontana, California. And where do you live now? 
Claremont, California. And what's one of your superpowers? Love. Ooh, good one, man. And uh, what's one thing you're afraid of right now? Death. Interesting. And what's one of your favorite books? Um, Crushing It by Gary Vee right now. Oh, good one. That's a great book. Have you met Gary, by the way? I met him twice. Pretty cool guy, right? Like he brings all the energy into the room with him and then sucks it all out when he leaves. It's that's exactly how to define him. Like you just you're trying to take it all in as he's given it, and then he leaves, and you're just like, "What happened?" Okay. <laughs> he's he's amazing. All right, one regret you have? Um, man, I don't I don't just not going into business sooner by myself. You know that is always the answer. It's creepy how much that is how often that is the answer. Maybe that's the the, defi- the true definition of an entrepreneur, if that's the answer, right? Because once you get a taste of it, it's like, oh, why didn't I do this sooner? Like all the fear and all the reasons why I didn't just aren't good enough reasons now, you know, once you're there. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I, th- I feel like with how many times that is the answer to that question, that if someone's a consistent listener, that'll be their wake-up call to just start before they think they're ready. Yeah. What is, who is someone that's changed your life? My wife. I love that answer. Mine too. And what's something generous you've recently done? Um, well, I'm always donating back to our kids' school, um, as well as a couple other organizations like uh, Stevens Hope and um, Shoes That Fit, a couple of local organizations that we have. Awesome. Way to go, man. And last but not least, what is one of your all-time favorite accomplishments this far? Um, I think my biggest accomplishment was getting my college degree. Hey, good answer. I, I'm a college dropout, so we're, we're polar opposites. <laughs> <laughs> were you the first in your family to get your degree or just something you know, proud of? I, yeah, I was the first one through the traditional format. My, my older brothers didn't go to college right out of high school. They eventually did it through, you know, like online type schools or accelerated programs. Uh, but most of them now have their degree. Very cool. Congratulations. So I want to get a little bit deeper into the interview now, and I kind of want to start with your show and then we're going to go backwards towards your story. So okay. tell us about your show right now on HGTV. So we just finished our second season of our show Vintage Flip on HGTV. Um, it aired in December and it's rerunning right now. Um, and basically the show follows me and my wife as we buy historic or architectural type properties in Southern California that are dilapidated and kind of long gone. Um, we go back in and we bring back that love and make the homes feel like they were back in the 1920s and 1910s. But then we also throw our design flair in there to make it kind of a home that's gonna live for today's standards because things were built differently, obviously, right? In the 1920s, people lived differently. So we wanna bring it back to its character, but make it functional for you know the millennials of today. Very cool. You know, I looked through some of your flips and they're absolutely amazing. I can go down the rabbit hole. Like I'm that guy that on Saturday morning, if I actually do turn on the TV, I can sit and watch home show after home show after home show. There's something weirdly addicting about them. It's exactly it. HGTV is amazing like that because, you know, they're all the shows are pretty much similar, but then so different because of the actual, you know, the different character of the husband and wife or the brothers. And, and it's like, you get lost five hours later. You're like, what, how many times can I see people just remodel the home? Oh my God. It's like two o'clock in the afternoon, you know? So the characters do make the show. And and here's the first question I kind of want to ask you, how different are you and your wife in person compared to the way the show portrays you? You know, so I would say the show there's, there's a little bit more structure to create a show. 
um, even being reality I, and that I think most people don't realize. So I would say we're a little bit goofier, a little bit more fun loving um, than the show portrays because the show has a mission. So this is how HGTV explained it to me in the beginning. And I think it was such a great way. They said, Jesse, the star of the show isn't you and your wife. It's the house. And once we realized, okay, so it's not so much about us, we play a part in it. It's really the home. So, so when we're acting overly goofy and trying to like make it extra fun and just be ourselves, maybe that part doesn't actually make the final cut because it takes away from giving the viewer the satisfaction of they want to see the before and the after. That's fascinating. How'd you even get this show to begin with, by the way? So we are friends or were friends with, um, Tark and Christina, who had a show on HETV called Flipper Flop. Sure, totally know them. So Tark and I started in the business together when we were 19 years old, uh, working at the same office. Um, you know, weren't really great friends at that time, but that's where we first met each other. And then a decade later, we reconnected and our wives hit it off and they had a daughter, we had a son, and we just started like vacationing together. We bought rental properties together and they were uh, in their first or second season of their show and we guest starred on an episode. And HGTV really liked our passion for historic homes and thought that it was kind of a, uh, an interesting niche. And from there, they gave us an opportunity. We did a sizzle reel, then a pilot, and then we got picked up for a uh, eight episode first season and then a 14 episode second season. Did you have to do your own sizzle reel or did they do it for you and kind of pitch it for you? So the production company did it for us. So the production company that was doing flip or flop, um, because we did that episode with them, they just used footage from that episode. And, and HGTV already kind of got a sense of who we were because of the episode. So I think we, we got lucky in that it was a, a lot less informal, you know, than, um, it, you know, than it was a lot less formal, I should say, than, than, the, than the average person who's trying to pitch a show. Um, it kind of just fell into our lap, which was, which was great. Yeah, it just kind of found you. That's awesome. So what was your first surprise being in the, the TV world? Like what was your first moment of, I didn't expect this? You know, it's not as glamorous um, as, as you know, because in reality, it is real. Like, I mean, it, it's, I thought like, oh, we're going to have trailers and there, you know, you always hear about craft services and I'm like, oh man, I'm just going to be eating food all day long, you know, and then you, sh you show up and there's like four people and I'm like, hey, where's everyone else? <laughs> and they're like, hey, bud, this is reality. Like, do your thing. We're just going to capture it. And, and, it, and they really do like. There's no scripting. There's no, you know, you, if, if something interesting happens that wasn't caught live, like you may try to reproduce it because it was an important part of the story. But I'd say 99.9% .9 of the time it's you show up and Hey, what's the day? Like we got to do some demo. We need to pick colors and you know, we got to show, we got to capture for a 30 minute episode, you buying, demoing, fixing and selling. So let's put this story together and hit it. I think the hardest thing though, was construction is difficult just in general you know if you've ever remodeled a home you probably have experienced like it's just hard well then you add the timelines of a tv show and a camera crew watching and that part that definitely was the hardest part of trying to create the show was it tough at first did you have like this standout scary moment where something didn't go right oh all the time i mean I, like you know hitting the timelines of like you know, we put a pressure for myself because it's a flip. Like it's 100%. I buy the homes with my money. I repair them with my money. There's no money coming from HETV or from the production company to kind of offset that home. So, so it's on me to make this work and try to produce a profit for my family. And the timeline that I would put on, let's remodel it in two months. 
which I thought was putting pressure. It's like, no, 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 you better be done in two months because we this thing has to go on the air in six and we need three months to edit. And we and that we had a lot of those late nights where it's 10, 11 p.m. and there's 10 of us at the house putting it, piecing it together because we had to film the open house the next day, um, and, and which is fun. I mean, those are my best memories from filming is just the craziness, you know? That's got to be a rush. You know, it's enough stress that you're flipping with your own money and that this is your livelihood because this is your entire living, right? It's 100%. Yeah. I own a real estate and construction company, but that's purely to support my flipping business. I mean, we buy and sell and invest in real estate all day long. That is, that is the definition of what we do. So what's it like living out your, your business and living out your life on TV as opposed to those of us that get to do it, you know, maybe just on social media at most? It's it's fun. I mean, it's it's. I think the hardest part is the criticism that comes, you know, through social media where people, oh, you're that color was ugly or this or that. But then at the same time, you have ten times more comments of people that say, wow, that's beautiful, that's amazing, you inspire me, and that blows my mind all the time. It's I, I never thought I was gonna ever be an inspiration to anyone, you know, other than to my kids. Like that's all I really wanted from life. Like I never thought I could I could be a leader and. Then in, in doing the show and running my office and getting people who are like, you know, you motivated me to remodel my kitchen, to change my colors. And like, I love that interaction, which on the TV, we don't get the interaction. So the social media part plays such a huge role. Like, I think without the social media aspect, I wouldn't have enjoyed the television part as much. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. So you, um, sorry, I lost my place here. I'll edit that out quick. I typed oh. notes and I lost my damn notes. <laughs> <laughs> I type as you talk, so I don't forget my questions. And I just—I don't know how you do it, man. Because you're—you know—you're—you you just you gotta be like concentrated. You just gotta be concentrated. Here we go. Okay, you ready? Yeah. So you mentioned the criticism. How do you handle the criticism? Because people can be freaking mean when you're in the spotlight, and I feel like this holds a lot of my listeners back. They're afraid of what people are gonna say about them. You know, you just have to ignore it. You just have to not care. I mean, I learned early on: don't engage it. You know, I replied to somebody once. I wasn't even rude. They said something like, you know, I suck or I'm a douchebag or something. You know, like something I was like, wow, that's hurtful. I replied back and I literally said, I'm sorry you feel that way about me. Um, And then like lit lit the person up. They responded 50 more times. And I was like, well, I wasn't even mean. And then that taught me. You just engage the good comments. Don't engage the bad ones. Um, Some people just they live for the negativity. It's not something that I try to bring into my world. And, and which is, it's hard. It's easier to say than it is to do to just ignore. Cause you know, I'll, that first day when our show aired, you know, the pilot or the season one episode, Tina and I read all the comments, right. And we were worried and, you know, we're on Twitter and we're on Facebook and Instagram and we're like, wow, like there's a lot of people who didn't like what we did. They didn't like the color scheme. I, I couldn't sleep that first night. And after a few more episodes running, you kind of realize like, okay, I want to detach myself a little bit from that and realize that what people are saying, they don't really know the true us. They don't know the real circumstance of, it is a flip. I have to try to make money, right? Like, cause you could spend, you know, a million dollars on a remodel if you wanted to. Well, I gotta do it for 50 grand so I can make money. And there's, I have to pick and choose where I'm gonna spend it and what things I can highlight and not highlight. And that's the business side of it, which a lot of times doesn't get showcased in the type of the TV shows, cause it's all just about the pretty. But like Gary Vee says, you just, you, you know, you can't pay attention to the haters. The haters are gonna be the haters forever. The biggest haters in our life are gonna come from our closest friends in the beginning, you know, sometimes, cause it's it's out of the comfort zone when we get out there. With you doing this podcast, I'm sure there was people who, 
you know, we're like, why is he doing that? Why does he think he gets to be the leader in, you know, in bringing all these people together? Well, you know what? They're just jealous. And, and the goal is to try to turn them. Like, I think if you can, you know, make your hater love and respect you is like the goal. Like, and that's kind of what I strive for now. When people, if people are mean or people are like criticizing, I just, it's okay. That's their opinion. No big deal. Focus on the one that loves it. Cause when you love on someone else, they love back on you. And then, you know, you just get more of the positive energy. Yeah. It's such a great answer. Lori and I have a zero engagement policy because you're right. As soon as you just kind of respond to that first hater, they will just take it and run with it. Cause it's really all they're looking for is a battle. It's absolutely nothing personal. It's where they're at, not where you're at. Yep. I mean, I think they, after they're done doing it, they sit in bed and probably go, that was fun. <laughs> right. So it's interesting. We're, we're here like in tears, you know, like, what do they hate us? <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting that you mentioned uh, Tarek and Christina a couple of times because they are in the media quite a bit for their personal life right now. And as you and your wife, you know, are this great couple in TV in the same industry, do you guys ever talk about what it's going to be like a few years down the road as you get bigger and bigger? And, and how are you going to handle that level of spotlight and that type? that level of people trying to get into your business? Well, that's one of our biggest fears because Tina is not, she, she doesn't enjoy the spotlight. Um, you know, her Instagram account I think is private. She doesn't want to grow it. You know, and you got me over here. I'm like, I'm trying to get to a hundred thousand followers. I want to influencer. Right. And she's like, what does that mean? I'm like, I don't know, but I keep hearing the term. <laughs> you know? And Cause I look at everything as a business opportunity. See, for me to be on TV isn't because I want to be famous. I mean, growing in Southern California, I never had headshots done. I never cared about being on television. I never wanted to be a model. Like I always just wanted to be in business. Like I wanted to work hard and try to make money. And then when I realized, oh, TV is a vehicle for that, right? And and TV is now a vehicle for me to grow my Instagram, which means I can then, you know, if, if I can buy more flips because people know me, that's the only reason I'm doing this, you know, or if I can share the message because I'm a big believer that everyone should invest in real estate. And and my and Tina does not like she is like, I hope nobody knows who I am. I, she, you know, when people recognize us, she literally gets embarrassed, you know, and she like so. So we hope to not get to that level of fame. We would like, rather be the secret person, the secret agent. Um, but I guess there's a chance that it could happen. You know, we could become, you know, Chip and Joanna. Right. But they're, I mean, they're at that next level. I mean, they're the nicest people there are out there. And there's even like articles that have come out about them. And you're like, how does anybody even say that about that? Like they are like the most wholesome family there is. And I guess that's just, you know, stuff like that helps sell more magazines. So I don't know how, I think the first time we get bad press will be when we probably bounce out of this and, uh, and get out of it. Cause it's, it's not our ultimate goal to be super famous. I just want to have a successful business. That's a really interesting response because once you're in it, you're in it. Right. And, and there's this tipping point where you go from working hard to get noticed and working hard to have a successful business or a successful show to all of a sudden everybody will know you and you don't you don't quite get to dip out a lot of times before that tipping point it just kind of happens and you wake up one day and you're there so if yeah. you wake up one day and you're there especially with Tina's desire to kind of remain more anonymous how do you think you're going to handle that man i you know luckily we're we're very close family we communicate a lot and I think it'll just, you know, we'll we'll put our blinders on like a racehorse and just try not to pay attention to all the outside stuff. I mean, we really are low key with our personal life in the sense that they'd have people would have to dig real deep to try to find any drama um, with us. I mean, unfortunately for other people that have had the press, of, like sometimes you you it almost feels like the people want the press, mm -hmm. and and if you engage it as well, then they jump on it more. Like we don't have a publicist. 
Um, we don't, you know, we don't want a publicist. Like we're just, we know, we just feel lucky to be doing what we do for, for real. Like we actually truly do flip stumbled upon a TV show. And if we get picked up for a season three, four or five, then that's amazing. If we're don't get picked up for another season, it's still amazing. Cause we got to have two. Uh, and, and we really just are just humble about it. I think so. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. It's hard to, I don't know what's going to happen if, if, if any bad press ever came out. Um, it, it would probably hurt us because we're very sensitive. Tina and I, we both say that all the time. We're like, we're not cut out for this because we're sensitive people. <laughs> and I think that's why I answered like my superpower is love because it's just way too easy to be mean and negative. And it's like, I just got to avoid it at all costs. Yeah, great answer. Great perspective. Now, I would say at least half my listeners are entrepreneurs with their spouse. Not the same business like uh, Lori and I or like you and Tina, but they're both entrepreneurs in the house. And it can be really tough to both have a romantic relationship and a work relationship with your spouse. So you're the realtor and Tina's a designer. Yep. Just like Lori and I, you know, she has her roles, I have my roles. How do you guys make it work as a successful couple in business? You know, we, we, we can compartmentalize. She has her roles, but her roles don't take up the whole day and my roles don't take up the whole day. So it's very easy to time manage and plan and go, hey, one, two, three Main Street, this is where we're at, what do you think? She gives me her insight, you know, then I do this part and this part and then it's, and then it's kind of done. She doesn't need to be out in the field as much as, as I am or the, our staff. So she has such an active role with the kids. Today, our son had his spring sing um, at his preschool. And, you know, she was there for she's been decorating for the St. Patrick's Day party. And she's doing all that mother stuff still, but still has an active role. And just like that little bit of separation gives us that balance to where we're not, you know, working together all day long, then going home and talking about work. I mean, we don't even talk about work at night. We really uh, one thing that I focused hard to build on was a good team around us. And there's a lot of players in our company that handle roles and support, you know, like, you know, for yourself, everybody might think that maybe you're doing everything, but you have probably some great staff that, that are around you to help support you. And by passing on some of those roles, you don't have to be so both of you so involved as much anymore, but yet you still are the main decision makers. And that's kind of where we are now back a few years ago when it was more just us, you know, you had to, you were kind of talking about work all day long. And the goal was to get to this point now where everything's running smooth and we don't have to be at each other's throats or to, you know, doing all the designs at night anymore while we're watching Netflix. Now it's like we watch Netflix. <laughs> we just, we just get to relax and, uh, and unwind and kind of have that downtime. So it's just a patience thing in any business. It's harder in the beginning. And as you move into like the later years and your systems, then you're able to get that balance. So that's where we are right now. It's, it's, we've got, we found that balance by bringing in, other players to help us so that we're not the only ones doing everything. Well, great advice to everyone listening out there. It's your team that you assemble around you. That's going to make or break your long-term success, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So you've got an awesome rags to riches story. Mind sharing that with us? Yeah. I mean, so, well, you know, I grew up in Fontana, which is not a wealthy part of Southern California, but I came, I was raised from hardworking parents. My mom and dad were born in Cuba. So they're immigrants. They moved down to America in the, in the mid sixties. Uh, me and my three older brothers were born and, you know, we just always like our perspective on life, I think is very different than a lot of people. We, 
we weren't entitled to anything. Like I saw my dad, my dad was an entrepreneur. When he came to America, he started as a, as a butcher, as a meat cutter, and then decided to open up his own meat market. So we were raised in that business. I mean, my whole life, you went to school, you walked to the market and you worked at the market as a third grader, a fifth grader. We didn't have that normal childhood of, you know, like little league. And, you know, and it's, it's funny because now as like the coach to my sons in little league and in soccer and doing all those things, you know, you think like someone could maybe have resentment. I have no resentment towards my parents. Like I love what they instilled in us, like the hard work, the, you know, the, the fight in us. And so we were raised doing that. So when the time came and I went to college, I knew I wanted to do something. I jumped into the real estate mortgage industry. Um, and I was doing that as a, at a young age at 19 years old, I started making money and then the, you know, the market crashed. Tina and I were already dating. I met Tina when we were 18 years old, first quarter of freshman year in college. So we've been together like since day one. And so she's been part of the journey and, um, we got engaged, we got married and the market crashed and I was 25 years old. I had no idea that this could even happen. You know, we were, we were just oblivious to it. Um, we had to walk away from our home. We short sold it. We moved in with her mom and dad. Uh, my car got repossessed. Uh, actually a, a friend was over our house and you hear the noise. I'm like, what is that? I look out the window and I'm like, Oh my God, my car, you know, and, and it, it's funny. I was, I was, was with this friend a few weeks ago and I've ne we've never talked about it. He was at my house and it happened and he never mentioned it. Like what a great friend. Cause didn't want to embarrass me. And 10 years later, you know, I'm like, do you remember when you're at my house? And he's like, I, uh, he's like, yeah, he's like, I, I just never said anything. And I'm like, yes, yeah, cause you're, you're a friend. Like you didn't want me to feel ashamed. And I think I've always been surrounded by those kinds of people. Our parents, my dad gave me his car. Tina's parents had us move in with them. My brother gave me money. Like, and we just, we were not going to stick our head in the sand and give up. We knew there was just a, you know, Hey, society was ending <laughs> at that moment and we needed to just restructure. So we ended up, I ended up changing focuses from mortgages to the real estate side and started selling foreclosures for the banks and basically essentially door knocking and trying to get the accounts with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and Bank of America and Countrywide and all the banks that were still around at those days. Um, and it just, we rebuilt it and went from literally zero dollars to within about 18 months of losing everything, making more money than I ever made previous. And it just continued to double down. I mean, we got to the point where I was selling 500 homes a year. Um, you know, we were in Inc. Magazine number 286 uh, uh, out of the, the Inc. 500, Inc. 5000. I was named top 30 under 30 years old realtor by the National Association of Realtors. And in all that, like in that shakeup of just losing everything and rebuilding, my flame and my fire was just bigger. Like I was like, like I became more humble. I think I was already humble. I became more humble and hungry at the same, which is just the most amazing combination. Um, I think that would, you know, equate to success. And we put our head down and we just worked and worked and worked. And then we bought a couple rentals and then we started flipping a couple homes. And then we found this love for the creative side that we didn't know that we had in us to buy something, fix it, transform it and sell it. And, uh, and that's like the short version. Like I could have went the long route on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you a question. When you were at your lowest point, when you lost everything, you know, your friend sees your car get repossessed. You've got a wife that's counting on you. What was the hardest part of when you were losing everything? Feeling like a failure. Mm, tell me more about that. Feeling like a failure. Thinking to myself, you know, Tina 
like had all the trust in me. I'm I, like, I, maybe I'm old school in my mindset. I'm like, my job was to provide. It's, I need to take care of her and I'm, and I'm a failure. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my God, her parents are going to hate me. They're going to, they're going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to think like, why did she marry this loser? And it was the exact opposite. Everyone around me rallied to like be our, my biggest cheerleader and go like, this isn't you. This is the market. This is like society. This is what's happening. Like what's going to define you is how you recover from this. Not that you went through it. And Tina was working as an intern, uh, as a marriage and family therapist. She has her master's degree in psychology and she was making four or $5,000 a month. And we literally survived off her money, paid off debt, lived with her parents. And I just, I mean, when I say fire, it was fun. I was like, this is not going to define me. I will not stick my head in the sand. I'm going to become bigger than ever. So I started working at a mortgage company, right? Just to get a little $2,000 a month draw against future commissions. I started selling timeshares at night. So I'd work from eight to five in a banking mortgage industry type job. Cause I, I had my own mortgage company and I left it and I had to go back to the corporate side to get basically just get a job. Then I started selling timeshares from like 6.30 p.m. to you know 11.30 p.m. in Pasadena. Then I would come home and I would work on the computer till almost three, four in the morning researching how to sell foreclosures, what I have to do. Like I was, I was determined to not be a failure. I was determined to bounce back. And I, I think because of all the love that, that my family and friends kind of rallied around me and believed in me, it's what gave me like the will to do it. You know, nobody beat me up. It's, it's easy to, when someone fails to go like, uh, I told you, you know, it's harder than you think to be an entrepreneur, man. But it was the exact opposite. Everybody was like, this is nothing like hurry up and get back up. You got this. Like, you know, listening to that, you could do anything. Man. How long do you think you were in a mental funk where you kind of beat yourself up over the low point that you were in compared to when you woke up, so to speak, and said, all right, I'm making my comeback. Was it instantaneous or were you down for a little while? It was pretty quick, I a week or two. So is it something that's just in you or was it all the people around you that didn't allow you to have that time? I, I think it's I think it's in me. You know, I'm, I've always been a positive person. Um, you know, I've had my issues growing up. You know, in college, when I went to college, I had too much fun and got kicked out of um, the university uh, my first year, which I don't think that's published anywhere. I don't think I've ever told anybody. <laughs> so you're the first to know about that. Obviously, yes, like, heard it here first, folks. Yeah, so I mean... Uh, and I think that's why college is such a big thing to me. Like I took it for granted that first year and got kicked out of Cal Poly for, for not, you know, and basically said, you know what, this is, who am I? This isn't me. I reapplied for college all over again with my freshman, I mean, with my high school GPA, didn't say that I went to Cal Poly, <laughs> that first year basically disappeared and uh, got into a different university and then graduated from there. I mean, it's like, you can't really keep me down for some reason. And I, and I just... It has to be something that my mother and father instilled in me because my old, three older brothers have the same thing. We all have that same personality of just of fighting. Like it, not about being a winner, you know. Like it's it's not about winning or losing. It's just like I know I want something bigger and better in this world, and I know I can achieve it, and no one's gonna tell me I can't. And I don't know how I'll get it. I'm not smarter than anybody else. I've never flipped homes before. I never sold homes prior to me doing it. Like I just jumped in. And did it and figure and did the research. You know, I mean, I spent hours and hours online learning how to sell foreclosures and buying every little list that somebody would sell, you know, all day long. People don't want to invest in their own business or in their own future or their knowledge. And it's like, well, how else do you learn? 
Man, good for you. That's inspiring. Here's what's funny is you're telling your story. You and I have so much in common. I got kicked out of college as well after two and a half years for partying too much and horrible grades. And, you know, Lori and I, probably during the exact same time as you during the recession, we lost everything and had to kind of find my spark again. And, and that became the beginning of Lori, who she is today. So it's fascinating how we take these similar paths in life. And I thought about the question I asked you when I said, was it something that was just in you or was it the people around you that made you make your comeback? And I think my answer to that would be, it was both. Like this is just who I am. Number one, it's what I expect yeah. out of myself. And so even in my low moments, I had some really low moments, but I still expected a comeback out of myself. And then the other half is the people you put around yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. The, the answer is both because if I would have had people beating me up and saying, you know, you tried, it didn't work. It's okay. Go get a nine to five, go be corporate. You'll be successful. You can work your way up the corporate ladder. Who knows? They might've gotten to me and I might've went that route, but because people were like, you know, don't worry about this. Don't let this define, you know, hearing the opposite and knowing that I had the the desire to win. It, yeah, you're right. It's the combination of the two. I love it. Well, paid off. You're, you're definitely in momentum now. So how do you view money? And, and I really want to ask this question in two different ways. One, while you were growing up and your parents were making you work really hard instead of being in, you know, little league or anything like that, how did you view money growing up? And then how do you view it now? Well, so when I was little, you know, not having any money. Um, but my parent, I never wanted for anything, right? Like we had, we got the, the new clothes when it was time to go to school and stuff like that. Maybe just not in excess, but I definitely appreciated money, but I knew that once I was going to get money, I was a spender. So from any point when I was little, if I got anything, I wanted to buy it. I wanted to buy the coolest clothes. I wanted to buy the toys. So, and that's carried on to this day. Like I would, you, you would think I'm going to, I would say I'm a huge saver, which I am the fundamentals of what I've learned and what you need to do, but we definitely spurged, splurge on stuff. Tina and I will not hold back. If we want something and we can afford it, we will buy it. Um, and, and, and I feel like it's because I do feel that I work so hard that I deserve, you know, and I, and that's something that's probably been raised because we didn't have a ton when we were young. Mm -hmm. So now if I want, you know, I wanted to get a Porsche and a 911, you know, I went, I bought one. Like I didn't have to call Tina or ask for her permission. I showed up with it and she was like, it's amazing. Cool. You know, um, but at the same time, I have all my ducks in a row though. See, I won't step out of, out of line and say, I'm going to go buy this, you know, because I need it. I need to justify it for myself. It's going to make me feel better when I don't have money in a savings already. You know, when I don't have investments that are working for me. So I definitely value money. I reinvest it constantly, but we don't hesitate on going on a vacation that, you know, maybe it's going to cost $25,000 for, you know, a week and a half, two weeks to go to Hawaii or Cabo because I want my boys to experience that. Like, I mean, if you, if you were, if this interview was with my six year old and you said, what's your favorite hotel? I'd be like, montage, you know, <laughs> great hotel, by the way, good answers. Your, your kids have good taste. I want to ask you a question. You said you're a spender versus a saver. Were you, when you reached rock bottom during the recession, of course, a lot of it was a recession, but was part of it that you were too much of a spender back then? Well, at that point, I wasn't a huge spender, but I was a reinvestor. Like I definitely put a ton of money constantly back into the business and didn't value enough of having the savings. So we all talk in business that you should have six months worth of your bills, right? In a bank account for your business, separate from your personal bills. I did. I definitely didn't have that. So when the market caught me, it caught me and I was unpre unprepared, which is the exact opposite of now. Like I am ready for any downturn, re recession, like I have an 
excessive amount of money in my personal savings. I have my business savings. I have tons of investments that I can tap. And in those years, you know, I was 25 years old. I was building. I was just coming up, just starting to make money. And I was, I probably did spend foolishly. Like I probably, you know, everyone could save more. Everyone could buckle down and tighten it up a little bit. Like the way my parents did. I mean, we didn't go on vacations as a kid. We didn't go out to dinner. You know, if I put that model into my family today, oh, we'd have $50 million or something, right? You know what I mean? Because we definitely eat out way too much. We definitely go on too many vacations. But that's that work-life balance that I'm trying to create for my family where it's like mommy and daddy play, work hard, but we also will play hard. But we, you know, our financial pyramid is intact and we have our foundation, you know, set pretty good. So that's the difference of, I think, being mature and learning. You know, if I didn't go through that downturn, I may be today getting caught in the next one. But because I saw it and it happened in the early, I'm grateful for that because I've restructured, I've learned more, you know, I've really um, taken the time to, to realize what do I have to do to be ready so I can, so I can, you know, not just survive. See, I don't want to survive the next downturn. I want to capitalize on it. What great like, advice I, to put yourself in position to be able to capitalize yes. instead of be a victim of the next downturn. Exactly. I think most people, if they just survive it, they're going to be like high-fiving themselves, which is a, a great accomplishment. But I don't, I'm not, I know I'm going to survive it. I'm ready for that. My thing is how do I capitalize and double down or quadruple down on the investments that I've made now to then, right? Because we know more millionaires are made in a downturn than in an upswing. And positioning for that starts now, you're saying? A hundred percent. I don't know when it's going to happen. If it's you know next year or two or three, I think we have a few years left in this market. We have a very strong and healthy economy, and I think now is when you need to make sure you know that you have money ready. But it also, I don't want to advise anyone to miss out on any opportunity now either. It, it's tough. I get the, the most common question I get is, "What do I do? Should I get out of the market? Should I sit on the sideline?" And you'll hear some people say, "Yes, you can start selling now over the next twelve months." And other people say, but you'll, you know, you will miss other deals. So I think it's all about the, the strategy you have on how long term it is. If you're mean, you're flipping, I get in and out of deals in 90 to 120 days. I don't need to exit the market because my model is to exit the market constantly and quickly. I'm not, I'm not looking at, okay, I'm buying an asset or a building and I want, you know, it's a seven to 10 year play on it. Where if I did that, I would lock up my money for a long time. But at the same time, it's okay if I, that's the plan is to lock it up for a long time. So I don't care if it, it goes up or down. So there's just so many like investing strategies that um, different, you know, real estate investors can take. Um, and I, that's why I love flipping so much is because I'm constantly in and out of the market. You know, if the market dropped today, you, could, you, you couldn't wipe me out because of it, right? Because I've got properties that are half of my properties are on the market or in escrow. The other half are in rehab. The other half I'm buying. So I walk away from the ones I'm buying. All I'm losing is my um, good faith deposits on those. The other ones are in escrow. I'll probably get out of those. Maybe I got to do a price adjustment, but I can still get out. I'm only caught with one third of my portfolio that's maybe in rehab, which I got to finish off those rehabs. And then I just turn them into rentals instead of flips. Like just I'm wiser today on how to look at the market and how to analyze it. And I, I just have a better plan than I did before. Great advice on how to position yourself and how to view money as this tool and how to premeditate how you're going to use this tool. It's really good advice. Who do you look up to for all this advice? Well, I mean, obviously like Tony Robbins, a lot of people think of him just as a, a, a mentor or a guru of, of self-help, you know, but he has some amazing business strategies um, and just financial strategies. And he's a smart person. Um, 
that's probably someone that I've looked up to the most. And then I have a local mentor, you know, someone that nobody's ever heard of that when I started selling houses and investments seven years ago, eight years ago, he was buying a lot of my deals and I just picked his brain. I said, I want to be an investor. How do I do it? And he's, you know, an older gentleman, he's 55 years old and he kind of took me under his wing and he's taught me a lot of his methodology. And then I've created my own from what I've learned from him. And to this day, we're, we're partners now and in buying property and he's kind of, he's exiting the business and I'm the one that's kind of taking over all that knowledge that he had of like our local real estate, Southern California real estate market on flipping and investing. And he's very conservative and I'm very aggressive. So it's a great balance. He helps me because I would be the one who would just continue to buy riskier deals. Cause obviously there's more money to be made in riskier deals. And he's brought me down a little bit and said, you know, be smarter, be wiser. Like, you know, like you don't have to run to the springs. Like you don't have to be the, 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 the hare. You can be the, you know, the, the, the turtle, the tortoise and slow it down a little bit. You're 35 years old. You know, back then I was 30, right? So he's like, you're 30 years old. Like you have a big life ahead of you, you know? Cause I think the big thing with being a youth is that it just never feels fast enough. Like I want it fast. Like, you know, I listen to the Gary Vee podcast, right? Too. And it's like, you think to yourself like, oh man, I want to be richer, quicker. It's not happening. It's like, I mean, how do I do this? How do I be him? How do I be you? And you got to slow it down and be like, you know what? We have a long life, like make smart decisions. Cause if I go too fast and make a bad decision, it's going to take me way longer to get there than slow and steady. Man, great advice, great outlook. So as you become more successful, as you become more famous, because I'm sure that's the direction that you're going, where does generosity fit into that? Look, I mean, when you give, you get. And anybody who doesn't understand that concept really needs to take a, some time to, to, to just think upon themselves because the more you can give to people, the more you get in return either, but just by, you know, like the world kind of absorbing you and taking care of you. And the more money we make, the more, you know, we're highly involved with, um, it's, a, it's a local organization. Like, I, you know, I haven't done anything on a national level because part of for me is um, I want to help in my community. I want to see the results. So we have a group called Shoes That Fit, which basically it, it helps, um, you know, kids in elementary school, middle school who don't have shoes. And I know it sounds like such a little thing, but most people don't even realize they think it's only happening in third world countries or stuff, but we have kids here in Southern California in good cities that will show up and have holes in their shoes, you know, who don't get, who get that one pair every couple years who are almost homeless sometimes. And this organization, they have a warehouse and they've got shoes on site that if someone were to call any teacher calls and says, I have this little kid and they're struggling. And I noticed that he's got holes in his shoes and he needs help. They will drop deliver same day. Like, and you know, and that makes a difference and like the smile. And I know it sounds such a small thing, but it goes such a long way because with kids and being embarrassed, that shapes who they are, right? If you're always so insecure of, of how you dress and how you look, cause you're poor, cause you know, cause you don't have a place to stay. It's going to affect you when you're in class. You might not pay attention and we may be like struggling to create our future leaders and it's not their fault. So this little organization helps and it's in a very small way, but it goes really far. So I love them. They're local. They're in the next city over in Upland. Um, and then the other big organization that we do a lot with is Stevens Hope, um, which is it helps families who have um, a child who's really sick, who maybe is from out of area. They have to go to chalk and they have to have a procedure done. And what happens is when a, someone has a sick child, it impacts the whole family. You know, everybody thinks of that poor child. 
but then they've got siblings, right? They're missing school. The parents are missing work. They can't afford to basically provide for their family. Well, Stevens Hope, all the money that they raise goes to helping that family so that the siblings as well don't have to skip a beat and can, can continue on with school. It helps them pay their mortgage while these parents are losing their jobs. You know, Tina had a handicapped sister um, who passed away a few years ago. And, it, you know, luckily Tina's family had the means. But there was many days of them missing a lot of work, you know, and they were able to survive and it was okay. And they had, we had such a, you know, big loving family and support system around them that, that Tina was okay and her brothers and sisters were okay. But it's not just the, the handicapped child or the sick child who the sickness takes a toll on. It's also the family around it. And Stevens Hope, all their fundraising goes to help those. And it's just, again, it's local. So you see, I can see where the money goes. Um, you get to visit the kids. When I was young, I had meningitis. Um, and I was at the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles for, I was there for almost two months, you know, almost died. So like kids is my big thing for me that I just really like, I want to put all my attention in is trying to help kids. Man, I love your, your level of generosity and I love your passion about it, the, the way you light up when you talk about it. There, there really is something special about local charities, aren't there? Where you can see, feel and touch your impact. Yeah, I think, you know, when... Like when you're like, I consider myself as, as someone small, you know, I'm not an uber wealthy person by any means. So to be able to give and to sacrifice, cause it's still a sacrifice for me and, and probably for a lot of the listeners, right. Who go out of their way to try to, so to be able to see the result from it, it makes it easier and you want to do more and then you can help because it's not just about giving money. It's about giving your time, you know, and, and for people who, who think, oh, well, Chris, I don't have the money. I can't do what you do, you know, cause I know you're, you're big in your charity. Well, it's not just money. These organizations need help, you know, so that they can run the events, the luncheons, the fundraisers, the, the charity golf tournaments, right? They need those volunteers because volunteers are just as valuable as somebody who cuts a $10,000 check. And there's so many ways to give and help. And I don't, I don't think it matters what organization anybody wants to get involved with. If it's something big like United Way or it's a little tiny one that's just down the street that's starting up. As long as you're helping, you get it back. You will, you know? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I love that. So a couple last questions for you, but before I ask you the last couple questions, where can we find you? Like where should people tune into you? Well, so on HGTV, um, our new season, you know, we haven't started filming it yet. So, but you can catch reruns on the website, on the HGTV app, but I'd say I would love people to connect with me through social media, through Instagram, um, at Jesse Rodriguez is my handle. Um, I'm active. I manage it myself. I talk to people. I love talking about real estate and investing and trying to share the message of everybody. Like it's changed my life and it can change everyone's life. If we think about our families and like the one investment that most of our families have done is buying their own primary residence. And that little concept of buy this home, pay it off over 30 years and it, it goes up in appreciation, right? You have a write-off so it helps you with your taxes and you have shelter, you have somewhere to live. And the one thing that everyone in America will always need is a place to live. So you start with your primary and then from there you go in and you buy maybe a, a rental or some apartments and it can happen slow. You know, we don't need to, I'm a huge fan of Grant Cardone and Grant Cardone's message of buy 400 units is amazing. And I hope to get there someday too. But in my opinion, there's nothing wrong with buying just one. You got to start somewhere. Man, I love it. So a quick question that is meant to inspire others to find new ways of giving, you know, kind of start that chain reaction. What is one of your all-time favorite moments of giving? 
Um, well, every year I do a where I try to raise money from from friends and family, and I'll match whatever donation they make. So, you know, in the past years, ten, fifteen thousand dollars has been raised from friends and family, and then me and my company will match that same ten or fifteen thousand dollars, and it just goes uh, really, really far for these little organizations that we're a part of. So. Every year I'm trying to grow it bigger and more and seeing how far we can take it. The goal is to try to get to $100,000 in donations to a little local you know, organization like Shoes That Fit or Stevens Hope I think would be huge because it's, it's a ton of money. I love that. Matching is such a great way to get involved, isn't it? It is. Well, and I always – like I'll do a video and I'll say – if you really want to make the make me feel pain, give money. <laughs> like, I so I egg Hopefully. on my friends, you know, and say like, "Come on, make me squirm," you know. <laughs> Donate as much as you can, and then make me stress out on how I got to figure out to match it, you know. And luckily, I have a lot of great friends that are that do well, and 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 you know, it's just joking. They're not trying to make me hurt, but it, it's a it's a great motivation for everybody involved to uh to help out and you know and i love being a part of like the golf tournaments um because you just you meet great people that have the same passion and it's fun that's cool make sure you tag me next time you do that <laughs> you got it all right last question why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of wealth and success well because i think you should be unapologetic because there's nothing wrong with being successful society tells us that sometimes we should be ashamed or you know it's it's not okay to have stuff and to and to show it off but you can never help other people if you don't help yourself first so you know work hard grow hard make a lot of money and once you get to that point so much other opportunity will come from that one being able to give you know leaving a legacy for your family right i mean my whole point in this journey of trying to make money is so that my kids can take what I've started and double down with it, right? And I've taken what my parents started. So I'm not gonna apologize for working hard. I'm not gonna apologize for putting long hours in. No one can ever say, oh, well, you're not a good family person, BS. I'm a coach of my kid's team. I'm an amazing husband. I go on two date nights a week and I work 60 hours. You know, I, what I don't do is watch 100 hours of TV a week like a lot of people do, right? So I live this life to the fullest, everyone else should, and you definitely don't have to explain yourself to anyone. Great freaking answer. Jesse, thanks for carving out some time to be on the show. You dropped a lot of knowledge around, you know, positioning yourself to invest, positioning yourself to, you know, make sure that you can capitalize on the downturn and just your outlook on generosity and your outlook on how to make it work in the spotlight with your spouse. It's all really valuable stuff. So thank you for sharing. Well, thank you so much for having me, Chris. I so appreciate it. Tell Lori I said hi. And you and Lori are such an inspiration with everything you guys are doing. I mean, real quick, just to give a shout out to my sister-in-law. She's the one who introduced me to you. And she says, Jesse, you remind me of Chris Harder. <laughs> that I is was like, awesome. I'm like, I, I don't know who, you know, this is, you know, X amount of months ago. I'm like, I don't know who that is exactly. Let me look. She's like, you have to reach out to him. He's an amazing person. He will respond back to you. And I looked you up. And I'm like, oh, this guy's not going to respond back to me. He's big time. Like, you know, <laughs> And, and you did, and you're so down to earth and it's such a pleasure and it's exciting following you guys with what you're doing and, you know, seeing Lori speak at 10 X and it's, it's sick, man. I mean, you, this is a major, major, you're an inspiration and, uh, and I'm just very grateful to, to be able to get, get to know you and connect with you. Oh, thank you for the kind words. That, that really means a ton. And I'm so glad you reached out because you offered up a whole bunch of magic to, to our crowd here. So super grateful. And the next time you're on the West side, let us know. We'd love to grab a bite to eat or something. Yeah, I would love to. All right, man. Thanks for being All on right. the show. Thank you so much. Chat soon.
Bye. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you'd take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.